Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, on my guest on today's podcast are my friends Amy Steele and her and her son Hunter Steele. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so Thank much. You. We're happy Excited to be here. here. Um, they're going to tell their story. Hunter is gay. He's 24 years old. He's a BYU student, a journalism major. Um, he served a mission in Washington, Kennewick. And um, I'm going to link in the show notes to his Instagram account, his coming out post, as well as a reel he shared reading a journal entry that was really powerful for me just to better understand the road that Hunter walks. We're also joined by Amy Steele, the mother of three. Um, Hunter is her middle child. She has a married daughter and a younger son on a mission in Arizona, Little Rock, Arizona. She teaches um, special needs. Tell us what you teach, Amy, before I miss it. Special education at the high school. Yep, here in Nephi. And they are joining us from Nephi. Um, Hunter, we're recording this on a weekend. Um, drove home from BYU, and they're um, joining us via Zoom. And um, I reached out to Hunter and Amy and asked them to do this. Um, somehow I got connected with both of them on social media. and. Um, just recognized um, Hunter's maturity, um, being honest about his sexual orientation and his deep love of Christ and the church and the principles of the gospel and trying to reconcile both of these things that he loves about himself. And I thought his voice would be helpful for other um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Some of you that are closeted or looking for the maturity that Hunter has that can help you and some of you that aren't closet or just looking for a voice to be helpful. Also thought it'd be great to have Amy here, a, a mom of an LGBTQ child, um, for her to share some of her story and the things she's learned, the advice she'd give, um, how she feels about Hunter. So our, our prayers, this will be helpful to you um, as a parent, as a local leader, as an ally, um, or as a queer Latter-day Saint to hear the things that Hunter will share. We shed a set of prayer and that's our prayer. And with that, I'll, I think I'm turning it over to Hunter to first share some of his story. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us again. We're so excited to be here. And honestly, anytime I'm able to share my story, I'm so grateful. Yes, because I see the impact that our stories have on other people, but it honestly helps me um, just find fulfillment in a space that is pretty complicated sometimes. And so I'm really grateful to, to share my story. Um, and it, it kind of starts with, I'll just start with when I was young, growing up, I grew up here in Nephi, Utah. So small town, um, a really close knit family and community. And I had a wonderful childhood. My family is amazing. We do a lot of hunting, camping, fishing down here, a lot of sports. And so that's kind of what my childhood looked like. But from a pretty young age, I would say even in elementary school, I recognized or realized at least that I was different. When I was that young, I couldn't quite identify or pinpoint what it was, but there were just certain social situations with friends, with boys or girls at school that made me realize or think that I was different than many of my peers. But when you're that young, you kind of 
I don't know, I didn't have the maturity to really like think through what that meant or what that was. And so I just kept living my life. And then once I got into middle school, junior high, I think I started to realize like what those differences were. And in junior high was when I first started to realize that I like was attracted to guys and and not so much to girls. But growing up here and hearing everything that I had heard about people who were gay, I really resented that idea that I could possibly be gay. Um, I feel like I got the notion just from everything I heard growing up that being gay was this really evil, bad thing that came from Satan and that it was in complete opposition to God's plan. Um, And not even just like from the religion side of things, also just from friends, like at school, just saying really awful things, honestly, about people who were gay. And so the moment that I started to even get an inkling that like, this is what I was experiencing I went into denial, defensive mode. I immediately tried shutting down the idea to myself that I was gay. I remember hating the idea that I could possibly be gay. And so I decided when I was realizing that, that I would just suppress that and kind of deny it to myself. And almost just force my way onto this other more clear path that it, that my straight friends had. Um, and so that's what I did starting in junior high and throughout high school. I just did everything that I could to be exactly like all my straight guy friends. And so I I did have great friends and I honestly did have a great high school experience, made lots of good memories. But looking back, it amazes me to realize how much of a toll that that took on me mentally, hiding this part of me throughout all those years and trying so hard to, to fit exactly with my friend group and everything they were doing. And I look back even just on a normal day of school and I just remember like the moment that I get out of my car at school, I would just be so conscious of my every move. I would think about the way that I walk, think about the way that I talk, the way I answer questions, the way I interact with this girl or with this guy, the way I interact at the lunch table, like just every interaction, every move I made, I was constantly overanalyzing and thinking because deep down I had this fear that people would think that I was gay. And again, in the moment, that's just what I was doing. That's just the way I was choosing to, to cope with the idea that maybe deep down I was gay. And I don't think I realized how much that was wearing on me mentally. And so there was a time in high school, actually a few times where I kind of hit some really low points mentally. And despite a lot of good things happening in my life and a good family and a love for God and my faith, because I did, despite all of that, there were moments where I didn't want to be here anymore. 
And I couldn't quite put a nail on it as to why. And that's because I wasn't thinking about the fact that I might be gay. I didn't want to think about that. So anytime that thought came up, I just suppressed it deeper and deeper and just kind of told myself that I was just struggling or going through a hard time. Anyways, this kind of pattern happened throughout high school and I had some really cool spiritual experiences throughout high school that helped me to really develop a love for God and a love for the Savior and a love for the gospel principles. And that was like the bright spot of my high school was the relationship and appreciation that I developed for God. And as I had those experiences, my desire to please God kept growing and growing. And unfortunately, because of kind of the narrative that I interpreted, at least from what I had heard from church leaders or from teachers or friends at school, the more and more my desire to please God grew, the more and more like my hatred also grew for this part of me that I thought could be gay. And that's because I felt like that did not fit with what God would want for me or the path that has been laid out. And so it was great that my testimony was growing, but it was also causing me a lot of anxiety realizing that deep down there's a part of me that does not fit. And so again, the answer to that was to continue to live in denial and try to just be different. And so I remember in high school, I would try to do everything my straight friends did. I would, I mean, they went through the whole dating craze where they uh, would get so excited about dating girls and kissing girls. And so I tried to do the same thing. I, I remember, um, I remember going through that as well, dating girls and I would kiss girls because that's what my friends were doing. And it's so funny looking back, but I just remember, I, I didn't say this to them, but in my head, I was like, why do you guys like this so much? Like it's, it's not actually that, that good or fulfilling. And at the time I kind of just told myself, I was like, maybe I'm just more mature than all my guy friends. Um, but really there was just no, there was no attraction there or for fulfillment that came from, from being romantic with, with girls. So graduated high school and it was time to make some decisions about my future. And I thought I wanted to go on a mission, but I wasn't sure. But as soon as I started filling out my mission papers, I, I told myself I would just start. And as soon as I did, I just got this piece and I knew that I needed to go. And so I was really excited about going on a mission because deep down, I also thought that, okay, this will for sure get rid of those feelings that have sometimes came up throughout my past. And that's a story we hear a lot people going on a mission and thinking that the mission will change them. And I had a lot of hope for that because serving mission was a hard thing for me to do, giving up two years of my life. It's hard for anyone to do, but that decision to give up those two years and just go completely put all my energy and effort towards helping people know God and know Jesus 
seemed like a big sacrifice and I, I felt like it was big enough for God to, to change that part of me. So I went on my mission. I served in Washington and I had an amazing experience. I'm so grateful for my mission and the relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ that I had grew exponentially. And by the end of my mission, I just, I felt, I felt like Jesus was my best friend. Like that's how I would describe our relationship. And so it was a beautiful experience. And honestly, my sexuality wasn't a big thing for me on my mission. I think because I was just so focused on other things that it rarely ever came up. And if it did, I kind of just did what I did in the past and suppressed those feelings. So I get back from my mission and because those feelings hadn't been on my mind a lot on my mission, I kind of like thought that it worked. Like I got back from my mission and I was like, maybe those feelings are gone. And I realized really quickly, like very quickly after I returned from my mission that those feelings of attraction towards men were not gone. They were very present if anything, they were more present than ever before. And the moment that I realized that, I had a little bit of a crisis. I remember being pretty distraught and sad. And there was a part of me that was frustrated. And I remember kneeling down one night and praying to God out of sadness and frustration and just asking, like, why God, like I just went out for, for two years of my life. I left everything behind and I gave my all to you and to these people in Washington, trying so hard to help other people follow this path and trying so hard myself to follow this path. And then I come back and this is still here. Why? And I remember not getting an answer then, but I do remember like feeling a sense of peace from God that I just associate with him loving me and kind of a little sign like to keep going and that, that he's aware of everything. That's how I kind of took it. I didn't get the answers of why, but I just felt this peace to keep moving forward. And so shortly after I got home from my mission, I started to work at the MTC as a teacher, and that was an incredible, life-changing experience. I grew so much on my mission, but I probably grew even more while teaching at the MTC. And I started going to BYU as well, and I was able to teach at the MTC for the first three years after I got back. So my first three years of school at BYU, I was teaching at the MTC. And it was an amazing, fulfilling experience. But it's so interesting looking back because even though there was this part of me that was being fulfilled spiritually, I still, as time went on, felt like my mind, my mental state was so unhealthy and I couldn't quite grasp why that was. I was teaching at MTC. I was going to the temple. I was reading my scriptures, praying, doing all the things. And those things did bring me blessings and joy. But still there was, 
I, I describe it as like I just felt out of alignment, if that's the right term. Or I didn't I didn't feel aligned with myself. Um, and that put a lot of stress on me mentally. I think especially kind of the the culture of being a returned missionary, and then especially at BYU of the expectation to date and find your eternal companion added to that, that stress because I was, I looked on the outside, like I was the perfect fit for this path that we lay out in the church, right? I served my mission. Now I'm teaching at the MTC. I'm at BYU. And so from the outside, it looked like, Oh, he's just doing all the right things. Yet deep down, I knew that, it was so hard for me to even think about dating or finding a wife. And I tried, I tried to get into the dating scene and find a girl. And it was so mentally stressful and strenuous. Um, I, I remember crying, honestly, probably every time before I went on a date with a girl, I would just be in my car bawling because it just felt forced. It it just gave me so much anxiety. And so about a year after my mission, I got to this place mentally where I was struggling so bad that again, I didn't know if I could move forward. And so I reached out to my mom and I just said, Hey mom, can I meet with a therapist? Because I'm really not doing good. And she said, yes, of course. So we set up an appointment. We found a therapist in Orem. And when I went to visit this therapist, I actually had no intention of sharing with him that I'm gay. I only intended to tell him that I'm really depressed and I don't want to be here anymore. And so I need help. But I will never forget the moment that I walked into the room with my therapist before I even sat down, before we even said a word to each other, when I walked in, I just had this overwhelming feeling when I looked at him that I knew that I was about to tell him that, that I was gay. And that scared me, but I just knew it and I couldn't deny it and I can't really explain it. But that's what I felt. And so we sat down and, you know, your first time meeting with a therapist, it's usually a little more chill. They're, they're just kind of trying to get to know you and see if it's a good fit. And so I kind of I kind of feel for the guy because he was just small talking to know me. And I the anxiety was too much. I couldn't wait till the conversation progressed to this point. And so I just kind of blurted out and told him within the first couple of minutes, hey, I've never told anyone this and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I just feel like I have to, but I, I am gay and I cannot change it. And it's not changing that. That's what I communicated with him. And and I think the reason I felt the need to communicate that is because the narrative that I told myself for so long was that if this really was real, it can change and it will change. And so for the first time in my life, I had finally vocalized to someone, one, that that I was gay, I was attracted to men, but two, that I knew that this isn't something that was going to change. 
And that was honestly one of the most powerful healing experiences. One, yes, hearing his validation was amazing and made me feel great. But even more so than that, the spirit that I felt when I communicated that to my therapist was so palpable. I remember describing it to my parents and I describe it to people to this day. It felt as if the heavens were cheering for me. Genuinely, genuinely, when I shared this, that is what I felt. I felt that the angels, the heavens were were so happy. They were rejoicing. And God himself and Jesus were rejoicing that I had finally realized that this is who I am and that it didn't have to change. And when I felt those things, man, that was the biggest the biggest turning point on my journey was that day because that was the first time I realized that, okay, this is real and it is a part of me. But the greatest realization was that God knew that and he didn't want to change it, that he was actually so grateful and proud. And I felt as if he had been waiting for the day when I could finally make that realization and that he was just so happy and thrilled that finally I got to that point where I made that realization. And I just remember being so emotional after that, looking back on my life and looking back even on the past year of the times when I was on my knees pleading for guidance or answers to why. And when I didn't really feel like I was getting answers And after this experience, looking back, I could just picture and imagine God just weeping with me, just wanting to give me everything, but knowing that I had to to come to realize that for myself, that, that this was okay. And so that was a huge, amazing experience for me. And at the end of that session with my therapist, he said, I think you should tell your parents. And I said, no way. I said, you're the only person I'm ever telling. (laughs) And I really believed that. And he said, okay, do, do what you want. I'll continue to talk to you about this and be here for you. But at least think about it. I think it could be good for you. And I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I left again thinking I'm not. And then the next week I was visiting Nephi, visiting the family. And the same thing happened. The moment that I stepped foot in the house, I just had this overwhelming feeling. I knew that before I went back to Provo that day, I was going to talk to my mom and dad and tell them this about me. And so I did. I was able to tell them separately. Um, my dad asked me to go get a drink. And so we were on a drive and I thought this is a good opportunity. And I was scared. I was terrified as most people are. I am so lucky and blessed because I knew for a fact that my parents loved me and supported me. And I wasn't necessarily worried that they would, you know, Uh, kick me out or disown me. I I knew that wouldn't be the case, but I think just my biggest fear deep down was disappointing them. It was the same fear that I had with God was I didn't want to disappoint God. And so it was hard for me, but I knew it's what needed to be done. And so I shared this with my dad first 
and he was awesome. He was amazing. He expressed his love for me and support. And, you know, I, I think I have so much empathy for the parents or the family or the friends of whoever comes out to them. I, this is what I would say right now to, to any of those people, or if someone's like wondering, like, how do I react? Just know that like, from my perspective, I, I had not a ton of expectations of like this perfect reaction because I knew that it would shock them. Right. Like I, I knew that when you raise a kid for 22 years of your life, not knowing this. And then one day out of the blue, they communicate that like they're gay. Of course, like I would expect that to take any parent kind of catch them off guard. And of course they wouldn't understand what that experience has been like for me. Of course they would have questions. And so my parents did, my dad did, he, he was amazing and loving and he asked questions. He was confused or trying, just trying to understand and I think that's so normal. And so I was, I was just thrilled with, with how it went. And then we came back home and same thing. I, I talked to my mom in her room and my dad came in with me and I, I shared this with her and it was the same thing. Just love and support was the biggest thing. And then we, we talked longer and kind of, they asked some questions. And since I was so new to coming to terms with this myself, it was hard because I didn't even have answers to a lot of the questions they were asking. So I do remember that being a little difficult was like, they're trying to understand it. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I'm actually trying to understand this too. And, and what this looks like. But the biggest thing that I communicated and wanted to reassure them of again, because I still, even though I'd come to terms with this, wanted to fit the mold and fit on this path. And so what I reassured them of was, I am gay, but just know this won't change anything for my future. I'm still going to do all the things. I'm going to try to go on dates with girls three times a week. That's what I told them. And that's what I told myself is I would go on three dates a week. And I said, within a year, I think I could be married to a girl in the temple. So on the one hand, I had these amazing breakthroughs, realizing that my sexuality wasn't evil and that it wouldn't change. But on the other hand, I was still clinging on to this desire to, to fit on this path. But what's really incredible and amazing about my journey is that as I started to live those expectations that I set for myself of dating and girls and trying to, to find a wife and I had all these kind of high, bizarre expectations for myself. As I started doing that, God was the one who slowly stripped away every expectation that I had set for myself, except for one. And I just remember feeling so strongly this one expectation that God had for me and hearing these words over and over again one day. And the two words that that hit me so strongly and powerfully were with God. And that was the moment that I realized that I really had to let go of all of these expectations that I had for myself, except for one. And that was just that 
I don't know my future, but I know that I'm going to navigate this with God. There are so many unanswered questions that I have. And I don't know the answers to them. But the one thing I know is that I'm going to do this with God. And from that day forward, that has been my mantra through this experience is that each day I just try to navigate my journey with God. Because if there's one truth that I know above all other truths, is that God does love me, that he's real, that he knows me, that I'm his son, and that he has a perfect plan for me. I know without a doubt, God wants me to be happy and have joy. And so I know that he knows the way that I'm going to experience that. So why would I stress about figuring that all out on my own and setting all these expectations for myself when God himself has all the answers? And so to wrap up my story, and then I'll kind of let you talk about it from your perspective, mom, but that was two years ago. And since then, that's what I've been doing. I've been navigating my journey with God. And and sometimes people ask, like, what does that look like? Because I will tell you right now, it does not look like doing things perfectly. Like doing things with God has just looked like talking to him every single day and trying to do each day what I feel is best for me. And then talking to him, to him about it at the end of the night and seeing how I feel. And so in the last two years, it's been ups and downs. I've taken different paths. I've gone through times of questioning. I've gone through times of doubt. I've gone through times of dating guys. I've gone through times of not. And through it all, I have grown more in the last two years than any other two-year or 10-year period of my life. Yes, I grew a lot on my mission, but I've grown way more the last two years. My relationship with God and my appreciation for Jesus has grown in the last two years more than it ever has. And I think that's because God has kind of given me this space to just try and just figure things out. If there's one revelation that I've received repeatedly more than others, it's go try it, Hunter. Because I'll ask God, I'll I'll be on my knees and say, is this okay? Can I do this? Or what should I be doing? Should I be doing this? And without fail, I just get this sense of encouragement. You're here to learn and grow, Hunter. Go, go do, and then come talk to me about it after. And I've been corrected at times when I do that. I come back and I feel, ooh, maybe that wasn't the best. Or, ooh, I put myself in a bad situation. Or, whoa, surprisingly, that actually felt right. I actually felt the spirit as I did this or that. And so it's honestly been just a great journey of ups and downs, but ultimately a journey of progression and and grace. I've learned more about the grace of Christ in the last two years than than anything else. Um, But... Yeah, I, I would say that's where I'm at now is, is I still don't know all the answers, but I feel I feel great about my life. There is really hard days for sure, but I've come to know that there is a way that I'm going to experience a fullness of joy, just like every other child of God has the opportunity to experience. And as long as I keep doing my life with God, I'm going to get there. I'm going to experience that. I don't know exactly what it will look like, but... Each day, I feel like God gives me a glimpse of what it can look like. And, you know, that's enough to to keep me going. And so that's where I'm at right now is 
is just doing each day with God and also trying to share my journey with others because I know so many people are hurting. And that's a, a big desire of mine is to help people who who feel like they're alone because I've been there. I've been literally steps away or, or moments away from from ending things, from giving up. And when I look back at myself in those moments, I'm heartbroken for the way that Hunter felt in those moments. And when I look back at those moments, I'm heartbroken for any other child of God who gets to that same point. And so that's my big thing right now is just, you're not alone. Like there's so many of us experiencing these complex feelings and there's a lot of noise in the world that might make you feel like you don't belong or that you're not loved. But the only noise that matters is the noise that comes from the still small voice that comes from God. And that's just the peace knowing that God loves every one of us so, so much. And we're perfect. We're perfectly worthy of his love and of his grace. And there's joy to be found for, for each of us. And so that's, that's where I'm at. But yeah, I can confirm you if you want to talk and share yours. Hey, thanks so much for having us, Richard. Um, just a little bit from my perspective, like Hunter said, his childhood was pretty normal. He played sports. He would go hunting. He had a great childhood. In high school, he was very well liked. He um, was student body president his senior year and just a wonderful, wonderful experience his childhood was. Um, I distinctively remember the day that he came to me in my room and I'll I wasn't expecting what he told me at all. I had never once suspected in the whole time I had raised him, he was 22 years old, that he might be gay. And so it came as a complete shock to me. And I'll, I'll replay that moment in my mind and wonder, did I react right? What did I say? I hope it was okay. But it was, it was very shocking. Um, I remember when he told us, he said, you know, he planned to marry a woman. He said he was never going to tell anyone. And I remember feeling a sense of relief, like, oh, good. And it was not because I was afraid of, of what people would think of our family. It was more just I didn't want him to endure any hate or persecution or have people think different of Hunter. So I remember having that thought, oh, good, I'm glad which that changed over the couple of years. I was ready for him to come out publicly, I think, before he did. But um, yeah, it was it was a lot of shock. And I think it went okay I, when, when he did tell us. But um, I remember after that, we didn't talk about it. He'd come home and we, we just, we didn't say anything. I, I don't know why, but we just didn't talk about it. And I remember one time sitting in the truck with Hunter. It was me and my husband and Hunter. We were, we'd went somewhere and my husband was outside the truck and Hunter and I were just sitting in the truck. And he said to me, he said, mom, you know, if you ever want to talk about it, we can, or if you have any questions, we can talk about it. And that just opened up the door to many, many wonderful conversations. And that's when I began to understand what he's been going through and, and what it what it's really like for him. Um, after that, I just I dove into everything I could to try and learn more about this. I kind of related this in my mind to 
And I think any parent would do this. And I don't want to at all compare Hunter being gay to any type of disease or sickness. But my daughter, when she was six years old, she was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. She ended up having a liver transplant. But when we found that out as a mom, I was finding out everything I could. I was on the internet searching cirrhosis of the liver and all the liver transplant and all of that stuff. And I did the same thing when Hunter came to us and it can be a good and a bad thing. Like with our daughter, Riley, I remember reading some of the statistics that were so scary and just devastating. And, and with Hunter, you know, I remember searching in the gospel library and finding talks and things from years ago. And there were some things in there that were hard for me to read. And I'm so grateful that I was able to find your podcast, Richard, because I binge listened to a whole bunch of those. I read Bench Laddie's book, Charlie Bird's book, and I'm so grateful for those resources that are out there for parents because I feel like um, there's not a clear path or clear direction within the church um, of what we do or, or where they fit into God's plan. Um, I went through a lot of phases and I think different emotions with this. I definitely had times where I was angry with God. And I remember one time in particular, you know, I'm, this took a mental toll on Hunter, just that battle within himself. And it's so hard as a parent to watch your child go through that. And um, it, it brought a lot of questions for me in relationship to the gospel. Um, the plan had always been this perfect plan until now, you know, where does my son fit into this plan? My son that loves the gospel, that loves you, that loves Jesus, that served a mission that has spent three years teaching missionaries. And what about him? Where does he fit in? And I remember just being, I call it a mad prayer where I was, I was kind of voicing my anger to God. And I remember getting up and opening my scriptures and I was reading about Nephi wanting to understand the vision his father had. And it's just right where I was last left off in my scriptures. And, and the angel asked Nephi, do you understand this? And Nephi says, I don't understand the meaning of all things, but I know God loves his children. And at that time, I just felt this overwhelming peace and sense that God knew Hunter, that he was created exactly how he was supposed to be and that God loved him. And that was a tender mercy throughout all of this. And there's been many, many different tender mercies. There aren't a lot of answers and there are a lot of questions, but throughout it all, throughout it all, through the scriptures and through different resources, God has blessed me with these tender mercies as a parent. Um, I also can see God's hand in Hunter's life so much. And um Prior to the podcast starting, Richard, you were kind of talking about his age group and how they're very good at being vulnerable. And I have to agree, like, I, I think sometimes the young adults get a bad rap, but I have seen amazing, amazing things through the young adults. Um, he has friends in his, in his life that I know were handpicked by God, like, that have blessed him so much and helped him through this so much. There's been times that hunters called me one day and said, I had the worst night last night. I was just, I was, it was awful. And I'd say, why didn't you call me? And he says, well, I called so-and-so when they were able to come, able to come and help me. And he has just a wonderful circle of friends around him that I know that God's placed in his life 
to help him. So there's been lots of lots of tender mercies in God's hand, which I think helps along this path where there is so much unknown and so many questions. Um, one of the things I used to used to think, you know, I don't think I was ever, I just didn't have anyone that was gay in my family. You know, you hear of people that are gay, or I remember hearing parents whose child came out as gay, and I remember almost feeling sorry for them. Like, oh, that would be so hard, you know, but through my experience, like I wouldn't trade this for anything. This experience with Hunter has helped me grow so much. But one of the things that I would think was, you know, that's fine if people are gay, but why do they have to tell people? Well, going through this with Hunter, I can see it. His his intentions were never to come out publicly, but it finally got to a point where he knew, you know, he talks about doing things with God and he knew that he needed to, to come out publicly to help other people, to be able to be himself. And I, I understood going through that. There was one instance where before he came out publicly on his Instagram, he wanted to make sure the close family members knew. So I remember he came down to Nephi. We were having a family dinner with my husband's side of the family. They all live right here in Nephi. And I remember Hunter was so anxious. He was pacing and I could tell something was going on. And I, I said, Hunter, are you okay? And he says, I feel like I need to tell the family. But he was so nervous and just anxious about it. And I says, well, if you want to, you can, but don't feel pressure. Like if you're feeling too anxious, don't feel like you need to do that. And he says, well, I need to at least tell Grandma Linda, which is my mother-in-law. And I says, okay, we can do that. You know, we can go home and we, you don't have to tell everyone here. We can go home and go to her house and tell her. And Hunter was so anxious and I was so scared too. She's the most loving person, but you just always worry about how, you know, what is their reaction going to be? And so I felt like walking into her house, I felt the weight of all that for Hunter. And I'll never forget the, when he told her and she said, Hunter, I love you and I'll love whoever you love. And the weight that I physically felt, the only way I can describe it is a physical weight lifted off me. And I'm like, I knew that's why, that's why they have to come out. That's why they have to tell so they can be themselves, you know, so they're not hiding. They're not, you know, faking through different scenarios. And so that really taught me, you know, that lesson. Um, I remember he was going to tell the rest of the family. We have a lot of family between my side and my husband's side. And so he recorded a video to send out to all the family. And I remember sitting at Cubby's, there was me and Hunter and my daughter, and he had the video all recorded and was just ready to hit send, you know, and he says, you know, he was hesitant to do it. You know, it's just a big thing. And I, I remember telling Hunter, Hunter, the people that know you, the people that love you are going to love you still. This isn't going to change. And I remember he hit send. And then we were, I think we went to Costco. We were in the parking lot and Hunter just started crying. And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, it's just, it's almost like saying goodbye to this person that he's been pre pretending to be, you know? And I'll never forget as the positive messages rolled in, he's been very blessed to have wonderful people in his life, wonderful family that has just 
reacted so well to this. And my heart breaks as well for those that don't have that love and support. Hunter has friends that have just the opposite. And I can't imagine. And my heart breaks for them. So um, I think it was that weekend he decided to do his post publicly. And I'll never forget that. We were sitting in our front room. And Hunter wanted to say a prayer before he hit send on that. And he said a prayer. And then he said, it was just our immediate family there. And he said, I just want you guys to know that, you know, I'm doing this in hopes of helping someone. But the most important people to me are right here. And you've loved me and you've supported me. And I'm so grateful for that. And so he's... It's been a wonderful thing. I was so ready to talk about it. I think that's one of the, my biggest things is I think it's something that's not talked about enough. It's starting to be, but that's, as a parent, that's what I want to do is talk about this. You know, I would, if I could go back and tell myself anything, you know, because you always wonder, did I ever say anything about gay people or someone that struggles with this? Did I ever say anything that could have been hurtful for to Hunter? So I think just, I loved, Richard, your recent post where you said we need to create homes where we're not talking negative, negatively about anyone. If we want our kids to feel comfortable to come to us, we need to be positive and create that environment. So, And I would just say, too, prepare yourself for when or if one of your children come to you with this. You know, How are you going to react? And I think that would be helpful, too. There's a lot of listeners that would <clears throat> just love to come through their headphones and give you both <clears throat> a big hug right now. It's just sacred ground. I'm just so honored that you'd share your story with our listeners. I'm just so deeply moved by both of you. Um, this is a beautiful family love story. I sometimes think of the, is his name Gene Kratz, the Apollo 13 commander when everything's going haywire and he stands forward and says, Excuse me, sir, this is going to be our finest hour, and this is the Steele family's finest hour. You said a prayer, Hunter, before that public post. This has been such a beautiful, prayerful, spirit-led, God-living journey that both of you are on, and to see you both doing this podcast together and the interaction that I can see with you is just terrific. It's just, this is a beautiful family love story. And it's taken so much courage of you, Hunter, to navigate this road. And um, I pray that I can just ask any questions that listeners have on their mind that want to ask you. Um, but just a couple comments is, these are the things that I wrote down that really moved me. They may be different for some of our listeners, but this idea that um, when you came out to that therapist, the heavens were cheering for you. And that included God and Jesus. And I believe that, Hunter. And I love this mantra that you have with God. And you have done just such a terrific job of getting yourself to be your very personal best to be able to come out. I think you came out from a position of strength with the relationship with God. There was obviously mental health working against you that you needed to address. But I think this has been a courageous, faithful journey of yours to own this part about you and to be open to how God felt about you in this whole process and get rid of the internalized homophobia you may have felt that was generated 
not from God, but from society, and realizing that God could feel different about you, um, then perhaps you were open to it at one point. And that is a great model for all of us, straight and LGBTQ, is to build a personal relationship with God. And, um, and the shame that that takes out of all of us when we realize that God loves us. Um, I love your, your mother-in-law's response. I love your courage, Hunter, to continue to come out. I love you and will love whoever you love. I don't think saying that um, creates a feeling exactly your path. I think it just creates a feeling that I have a non-transactional relationship with you as my grandson, that I will just love you. And my job is to love you, and I love, and he saves, and I will just leave it at the Savior's feet, and I will just support you and love you as my grandson. I love that, um, Amy, your pattern, when you have hard questions, it seems that you pray, and then you go to the scriptures, and you read that part of Nephi, um, that I don't under and understand everything, but I know God loves all of his children. I just, one of the themes of this whole podcast with you two is just your consistent um, going back to God, the scriptures, um, to get personal revelation. As you both point out, there's not a lot of direction. You can't just go to a manual and and go to an eight-week course, Amy, and say, this is how you parent a gay kid. And and Hunter, you didn't have a class you could take anonymously as a high school seminary student. What if I'm gay? <laughs> And so there's none of this content around you, but in a way, you've you've shown a great way of of using the tools you have, which I deeply believe in, a personal relationship with God, Christ to heal broken hearts, and as you've made and the scriptures that often give us impressions and insights that are unique to the questions we have on our mind at the times. And so, um, this is just a and respect for you, Hunter. You know, I've only been in this space for six years, seven years, but, and I don't have any data to back this up, but it seems like, are you Gen X? What gen are you these days? Are you, you know where the cutoff is? Oh, I don't even know. I'm 24, so whatever that is. <laughs> listen, I get confused between Gen Y, Gen X, and Millennials, but, me too. But anyway, I'm not in that generation. Um, but I think, uh, one of the things that I believe is that you're able to own this earlier. And I think that's a good thing because I think the shame and the self-loathing that you've went through as a junior high and high school student, um, you're past that. It doesn't make your road easy. And we're going to link to your Instagram where you read out of your journal from April 17th in the show notes, because I love you reading out of your journal, just the complexities of your path. And listeners, if you haven't read that, we'll link to it in the show notes. It's a podcast within itself. I was just deeply moved with um, you giving vocabulary to the complexity of your situation. One of your gifts is the gift of communication, Hunter, um, and putting vocabulary to feelings. And that, that Instagram, based on your journal entry, is terrific. And I want people that are listening to podcasts to make sure they've listened to that if they haven't as well as your coming out post. So, but anyway, I just sense a good thing that doesn't make your life easy. I don't want to say just, you know, you know that, but I do, you're not going to go through decades of just this shame and self-loathing and hating yourself that some feel for decades. And 
And I think that's a good thing. And I think it it starts with just the formula you've given. You've asked God, how do you feel about this? And I think that's a perfect formula for anybody. Um, so I want a question that you've kind of addressed, but Hunter, you did come out publicly on Instagram and you get, offered a prayer before you press send. And I looked at that post in preparation for this podcast. It had like 3,000 likes and over 400 comments. Um, and I know you weren't necessarily looking for just, you know, that, but why did you come out? I mean, you've sort of addressed that, but why did you feel the need to come out? And what did it mean for you to come out and have people accept you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, originally, the reason why I ever even thought that it might be what I needed to do was to help other people, right? Like, I, I really had these moments on my journey where I would just be crying in my car, thinking about all the other kids or youth who are experiencing or had experienced like the isolation that comes with this experience. And it was in those moments that I was like, Oh, I do want to share my story. Like there is a part of me that wants to share my story, but it took me a while to get to that point. It was just this last October that I made that post. But what really, like, I would say, like, pushed me over the edge or, like, got me to the point where I was like, okay, I need to, was actually that I realized that month leading up that I needed to do it for myself as well. And so I already had this desire to help people, but October of this year was a really actually hard month for me where I... emotionally and even though I had come out to people like my family and, and some close friends and my therapist, there were still so many people that I was hiding from and that still took a toll on me. And so I, I felt the need finally to just say, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to share my story and I hope it helps some people. And I know that it will bring a lot of relief to me. And both things happened. I have never been more comfortable just living and being and existing than I have since that day. But also I've just seen God do amazing things um, by, by helping my story or words resonate or reach people who, who needed it at just the right time. And so it's been nothing but positive for me. Um, you, um, your mom talked about a circle of friends and I'm glad you've got a circle of friends. I assume some of those are straight. Talk about what straight friends can do to be helpful. Um, just educate your straight bro friends. Um, some that may have continued to be your friends all the way from high school that have not pulled away. What, what can they do to support you? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I honestly am overjoyed, so grateful for the friends that I have. And I have a lot of good friends that are girls and they're amazing and supportive, but I do, like you say, have a lot of guy friends, like my bros almost who are straight, who have stuck around and like continue to embrace me as a friend. And I don't know why, but there's something about that that makes it a little bit more meaningful because sometimes those are the people you expect to, to leave you or abandon with you or, or, or if anything be uncomfortable with you. I think that was my biggest fear is like, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. So I would say the best thing that you can do is to show your friend that you love them and that this doesn't change 
anything that you are comfortable being their friend that you are you are comfortable going out in public with them as a friend that you're comfortable still posting them on your story like it sounds dumb but those little things show a lot they show that oh my gosh my friend he's not embarrassed just because everyone else knows that I'm gay now he he's my friend and he loves me for who I am and cares about me as a friend for who I am and he's going to continue to do that and that's meant so much to me so just stick around show them that that nothing changes and you'll be a miracle in their life if you do that those are great examples of what your bro friends do that doesn't take a lot but it does send a message to you i love the term they stuck around and they're yeah. not embarrassed and they didn't pull out and they don't weird it out is a word i probably would have used um yeah. to describe how i might have felt if i were one of your bro friends um, and so I'm grateful for that. And I recognize that sometimes, like you said, that does help a little bit because those might be the guys that are first uh, to go. Um, right. More thoughts that come to either of your minds, Amy or Hunter? I just, I want to share just one thing that, that keeps coming to my mind. It's some, I guess it's advice that I would also just give to people in general, not necessarily people who are gay, but everyone else. And it's something that I used to do when I taught at the MTC that I saw have a profound impact on these missionaries when it came to their understanding of our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters and how they can help them. Because missionaries would always ask me, you know, we te I teach them the law of chastity lesson in the MTC and then they'd they'd ask, well, how do we teach this to people who are gay? Or like, what do you say to this question? And I just remember feeling like, one, first of all, on the inside, I'm like, I wish I knew. I wish I had these answers. But what I felt prompted to say in this, this just happened one class period, and then I kept doing it after this. But I felt prompted to just say like, missionaries, before we even think about how to teach or explain this, we need to really try to understand what they're going through and what this situation is like for, for them. And the only way we can do that is to really put ourselves in their shoes. And so I would do this little exercise with them. It's so simple, but it, it's crazy how much it, it changed their perspective. And it, it might sound a little odd, but this is what I would tell them to do. I say, missionaries, close your eyes for a second. I just want you to think about this. I want you to imagine right now that President Nelson, this next conference gets up and he, and I, I preface, I tell them this obviously isn't going to happen. This is just a hypothetical, but imagine he gets up and he says, I've received revelation and marriage in the temple is ordained by God between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And I just tell them, I want you to really just imagine for a second if that is the case. But your attractions don't change. If you're attracted to the opposite sex, that stays the same. And so I let that sit. And then I say, so missionaries, not only will you never be able to act on the natural desires and feelings that you have for the opposite sex, but on the flip side, if you actually want to be married in the temple and go to the, you know, the highest degree in the celestial kingdom, you actually have to act on the complete opposite of what you feel. 
And again, I just remind them, really think about that missionaries. And I let it sit. And then I would ask them, what would you do? And without fail, every time, every district I taught, there would be a missionary or two that would say, oh, I wouldn't. I couldn't do that. And then it clicks. And I'm like, exactly. And that's that's what we're asking these people to do. And so I say that in no way as, again, an attack on the church or anything like that. It's It's more just the best thing we can all do is understand the tough spot that our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters are put in. And when you really take time to think about what that would be like for you, there's no way you're going to respond with, with hatred or even with this desire to tell people who are gay exactly how they should live their life, right? When you really consider what that'd be like in your life as a straight person, if things were opposite, I think all the missionaries, when they walked away, they were like, I'm just going to love, I'm just going to support, I'm going to teach them what we know, but just say, we just want you to take this to God and figure it out because we don't know the answers. And so I think the greatest thing that can be done to support someone who is gay is giving them that space and grace to just wrestle with God and figure out the best way for them to live their life and trust the person. I think above all trust that they genuinely are trying like to figure out what is best and that they're doing that with God. So I think that's the only other big thing that was on my mind. Do you have anything else? I think just to kind of sum up my perspective as a mom, this has brought me, you know, my whole life, I'm 47, my whole life, my testimony has always been pretty easy. And I've thought before, you know, when you hear people that have really struggled, I thought, well, it's pretty easy. I just believe it. You know, it's great. It fits, you know, everything's good. And then this really brought up, I mean, this really challenged everything I kind of knew as a mom of a gay son. And as I've done those things, like I've kind of talked about, you know, talked to God and went to the scriptures and, and all of that, my testimony is so much stronger now in Jesus Christ. My relationship with Jesus Christ is so much stronger now than it was a few years ago before we, we found this out. So I'm so grateful for this experience. I'm grateful for all that Hunter has taught me. I mean, you can hear him speak and I'm always amazed. I'm, I'm truly amazed by his strength and his ability to, like you said, communicate emotions and to relate with people. And I, I've told him many times, it is just, I feel so blessed to be his mother so blessed he is he's awesome so um just that there's any parents you know it is hard but there's hope and as you do this with god like hunter said your relationship with your savior and with heavenly father can can grow i love that um hunter you know people may ask you questions if you're 24 and straight at provo they may not ask you the kind of questions you get if you're 24 and gay they may kind of want to know where you're going to end up. And they, they may ask questions like I did even before the podcast started. Do you know your future? And that question, maybe you're going to marry a guy, you know, have a mixed orientation, be celibate. I don't necessarily want you to answer that question, but just unless you want to, but talk about, is that a good question for people to ask you? Um, do you like sort of people trying to figure out where your future is or, and, or do you even know your future and how are you navigating that? Um, and what, 
just talk about what's helpful and not helpful. And that may be helpful for leaders, for friends, to not to kind of support you the best way they can without putting you in a spot you're not really comfortable talking about something you don't want to talk about. Yeah. No, great question. Yeah. I think kind of the first part of your question about whether or not it is a good question. I think like the best way you can approach that question is, is more asking like, how can I support or help you as you figure out your journey and your future? Like just knowing as an ally or friend or family or support that they do have a complex situation and they're probably really stressed trying to figure out their future. And so maybe approaching it as like, I know you're probably like stressed about making decisions for your future. Is there something I can do to support or help you as you do that? Do you want me to hear your thoughts and listen and offer my perspective? I don't know, just doing it out of place of love and trying to be helpful. I don't think it's a offensive question in any way to ask what my, what I think my future looks like either. I've never took offense to that, but but I think ideally you you can ask how to to help. But and then as far as the second part of your question, I guess of where I am. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I I don't know exactly what my future looks like. There's a lot of unanswered questions, and I sometimes think about ten years down the road, and I sometimes imagine fifty thousand different scenarios, and. I, it is hard not knowing, but I think that's what's so beautiful about this approach of doing things with God is that is the one thing that I do know. And that is the one thing I am certain about. There are days and phases where I have like more of a inkling of like maybe how my life will look. But at the end of the day, I really do not know because I'm going to end up where I feel like God wants me to be. And he doesn't just unveil that all at once. And sometimes I think that'd be easier. God, just tell me exactly what my life will look like, but that would not put me in a position to keep exercising faith the way that I've been able to and keep building faith the way that I've been able to. And so it is hard not knowing what my life will look like 10 years down the road, but it's also so beautiful not knowing because it puts me in a place where I get to wake up every day and say, you know what? I don't know what my life will look like in 10 years, but God, I know you're there. I know you love me. I know you want me to be happy. Today, I'm going to try my best to please you and to help other people. And I just trust that as I keep doing that, I'll be where I need to be. And I really do trust that. I really do believe that if there's, again, one thing I know, I know God will not let me down. And and if that's what I'd say to people too, if you're struggling with you know, doubts and, you know, struggling with maybe the church or church leaders or this talk. That's okay. It's understandable. There's space for that. There's space to wrestle with all those questions. But if I could plead with you to, to seek one thing, it's just seek that knowledge of God, like seek even this might, I don't, I hope this doesn't sound bad, but even if you have to, if you're in this space of questioning and doubting, just set aside even the church aspect of it for a minute and just really focus in on, is there a God? Does he love me? Does he have a plan for me? 
Because I know without a doubt, if you seek that, you're going to find out that that is true and that he is there for you. And from there, you can just build your foundation on on that. You can never go wrong knowing that you have a God who, who wants you to be happy and will support you and guide you as you seek guidance from him. And so that's my plan right now. I am going to keep doing that. I hope to live a life of faith. And I do hope to live a life of love. I want to experience that. And I've I've been able to experience some of those things. And it's maybe been shocking to myself and others how good certain things have felt and how right they felt. Um, that's maybe all I'll say about that. But at the end of the day, my future is is with God and we'll we'll see where that takes me. Really good answer. I thought you could handle that question. Um, I love that even though you don't know your future, you're at peace today, Hunter. And I recognize that your deep spiritual maturity. We're recording this, listeners, on a Sunday. And in our ward, um, we had the young men and young women speak. It's kind of like the primary program where they line up and give talks, but our ward felt pressed to do it with young men and young women. And um, my wife spoke and just talked about, and I totally agree with her, that these are the noble and great ones. and. I think of that doctrine within our church and I look at you, Hunter, and you, you don't probably want me to say this about you, but I look at you and, and other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and straight Latter-day Saints as the noble and great ones um, that are helping us create Zion in the last days and your work to be who you are and the spiritual maturity you have and the peace you have in your life. And, and you bless so many people. I would assume if I could go back to, Nephi High School and walk the halls while you were the student body president, people would say how much you've helped them and how much better off that school was. And I bet if I could go to your mission reunion in Kennewick, um, they would say the same thing. And your friends at BYU, and it doesn't mean you're perfect or the missionaries you've taught at the MTC, but you've blessed a lot of people and you, and you continue to do that, being open about your sexual orientation and your relationship with God and how that's helping you navigate that. And I'm not your parent or your church leader, but my impression is just, as your friend, I'd say, I trust you. And I, I'm i not going to get, pers- this is me talking to listeners, I don't get prescriptive anymore and say, this is the path that I think is right for you, Hunter. I would say, I trust you, and I will walk with you, and I will support you. And I'm not going to make you the hero one day and the villain the next day. You're the same Hunter Steele. And I will leave any of that judging up to Christ. And, I'm, and I will let you write your own story. Um, we talk a lot in the church about author your own story with Christ and write your own story. And I think we do better listeners when um, our LGBTQ members fully own their story, whatever it is. And they don't feel, they, I just think they do better if they fully own it. Um, and I think to write that story kind of in their 20s after they get in a really good spiritual spot, an emotional spot. Hunter's probably a good example of that, of somebody who's just in a really good spot in a thoughtful way to not sort of listen to how everybody else's stories are turning out. I think that's helpful for perspective, but mature enough to write your own story with God, um, just like you've taught us. And so I think you're in a great spot to continue to write your story, and you will bless a lot of lives along the way. You have a great life ahead of you, and I think your older self in 10 years, if they listen to this podcast, would say, 
last 10 years have been terrific. And where I am today is possible because of the work you've done the last couple of years to come out. And I think you know that, but your courage to, that was a spirit-led impression to come out to your therapist. Um, That was not planned. You seem to have followed the spirit to come out to your mom and dad. That was not planned. Um, This whole journey seems very spirit-led with God, which are the principles you were taught in your home. I think the Steele parents, even though they didn't have a gay son, (laughs) um, I think it's a credit to them for the principles that they taught in the home for you growing up that then gave you the tools, even though you walked this road a long time, to be able to walk it in a way that then allowed you to come out when it was right to come out. So it's a beautiful family love story. Any more comments either of you like to share? I I think that's all just yeah, much much love to everyone listening and yeah, I guess yeah, the fact that if you're listening to this that shows a lot about your character wanting to learn and listen and that that makes me emotional always when I have a chance to speak to people and people want to hear my story. It makes me emotional because that that is like you say that's how we're going to build Zion is if more and more members of the church step into kind of the the uncomfortable space that we're in of of wrestling these complexities. I just I see groups like this that do that. And I just imagine like, what if the whole church did that? What if every member of the church stepped into this space and was wrestling with these complexities? How much more willing would would God be to continue to pour out revelation that that we so desperately need? So yeah, share this with people maybe who aren't in that space yet and invite people to to come on this journey because I think even though it is maybe uncomfortable at first, like my mom said, it's amazing to even see like how much she has grown, like and become more Christ-like and empathetic. And like she says, I, I it sounds like I'm speaking for you, but I know no, you said these things like, like you said, like you wouldn't change it for the world because of where you're at now. And so I know that anyone would say that down the road too, if they're, they're willing to just step into this space. So that'd be my, my invitation. Anything that you'd like to say, Amy? I just echo what Hunter said, and then just so much gratitude for you, Richard, and all the work that you do. I mean, you're on, I don't know, 600 and something of these episodes that you, I know you don't do this to hear praise for you, but I, I'm so grateful for all the work you do. So thank you. Thank you, Amy. And that's A-M-I-E. You know, I like to, when you've got a name that can be spelled a few different ways, Hunter spells it like it's supposed to be spelled. <laughs> so listeners and the show notes will link to the two things I referenced, um, Hunter's coming out post and the real or just his Instagram page, you can find it. And act on the impressions you felt in this podcast about what you need to do if you're walking this road or what you need to do to better support others walking this road. And this is Amy Steele and Hunter Steele and Richard Osser signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.